Second Peter 1, verse 4 and 5, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. In the heart of a champion. And welcome back to the Code of Man podcast. I almost feel like I have to say that in this, like, welcome back. We're actually back. Because we've had a bit of a delay. Uh, we'll call it a hiatus. And it was a hiatus that comes because we have been involved in some very good things. And sort of just, you know, trying to find that time to get back in here and do a podcast and with all that's going on. But we're going to do it now. We're here today. This is Mike Overtrek Barnett along with Corey Easy Target Cantrell. Uh, here's what we're going to do, and I, I don't know. This will definitely be at least a two-part series. If it takes three, we'll do that, but we're going to try to keep them under an hour because we know you're busy people with a lot of other things to listen to and do. And we don't want to information overload you to the point that you miss out on what we were actually talking about. Exactly. But this will be a unique one because we are taking some some pre-recorded teaching and putting it together, sort of having to splice it together, uh, to put it into the Code of Man podcast. And the first portion of the first half will be just me. Yep. Because you were not there and were away, but then later on you joined me in discussing this. And what are we looking at? We're looking at Second Peter chapter 1. I guess we should say in particular verse 3 through verse. I guess by the time it's done, we'll have looked through verse 11. But it, primarily it's the adding to our faith section in verse 5, 6, and 7. And the theme is, the title of it, the idea is becoming the person that we are made to be in Christ. And this is such an important passage of Scripture. It's very big for us in our church, very big for us in the code of man. We talk about you know becoming the kind of men God wants us to be. And I think the second reason that I wanted to do this is because we are coming into our um, Way of Holiness conference for this year. And I think this will be a great lead to sharing some of that in the weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got uh, our friend Charlie Russell will be back. Pastor Matthew Jones will be with us. And we'll be doing teaching and some time of, of actually practicing and studying and learning spiritual disciplines again. And so I'm looking forward to that. And I think this kind of sets the stage and, and gets us ready for that. I think so as well, especially as we're talking about the disciplines are things that enable us to grow and to develop well, then we can take the scriptural basis of, well, these are what we are trying to add so that we are growing and developed. They go hand in hand very nicely. And since we give Dallas, or I give Dallas Wheeler a lot of shout-outs on this, I can give him one right there on that. You know, One of the things that he says about spiritual disciplines, they are wisdom, not righteousness. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, is that it's what you just said. The practices, the spiritual disciplines, the habits of holiness that we do are not what qualifies us as righteous people. 
but they help us to access the real righteousness which is found in the knowledge of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, and that's what Peter's writing about in this. So I guess without any further ado, we will jump to the pre-recorded teaching on becoming the person we are made to be in Christ. Today I want to take you on a little bit of a journey that I have been on this week, something that I have learned in my life of prayer, which has been very helpful, is the practice of staying with a thought which I sense that the Lord has given me. This week, I have been captured by this thought. I must become the man I am made to be in Christ. Now, for the ladies that are listening this morning, for our sisters, I must become the woman I am made to be in Christ. But that's been the thought that I have had and carried in my heart this week. I must become the man I am made to be in Christ. There are a number of things I could say about that. But one thing that is important is to understand that God has an identity for my life. It's part of his purpose. It's part of that being conformed into the image of Jesus. But God sees that man that I am to become. And it came straight. This thought came straight to me out of prayer. It was during prayer. And as the words came to my heart in my prayer time, it seemed like this is a message from the Lord for me. This is a, a directive. This is a, a, a word that I need to stay with. And, and here's the way it, it unfolded because, and I share this with you just to give you the example of how this can happen and be a reality in our life through our praying, through our listening prayer and contemplative prayer and just being in that place of solitude with God and expressing our heart. And, and I have this because I was actually writing this in my prayer journal. And here's what I was writing. And watch how this statement just comes out at the end of this. I wrote, I want less of me and more of you, Jesus, my shepherd, my Lord and Savior, my life. I want to be led of the Holy Spirit. I want to be an ambassador on mission at all times, always ready to serve, ready to fulfill all your orders. But I'm not that. Not now, I'm not there yet. There's still too much of me, still too much yielding to my flesh without even resisting it. I want to change. And yes, I know you have given everything required to become the true man I am made to be in Jesus. Now, that last statement, which I prayed, which I offered, was the answer to my prayer. Isn't that a, just an amazing thing? how the Spirit of God will work in us in our prayer time and bring the prayers to our heart which give us the guidance. That word become is such a big part of it, and, and that really struck me. It's a verb, become. In other words, don't just talk about being this man in Christ you're made to be. Don't just wish for it, but become this man. It's a very active word, the word become. I looked up the definition, and it is, it's just strong. It means to pass from one state to another, to enter into some state or condition by a change from another state or condition, or by assuming or receiving new properties or qualities, additional matter, or a new character. Now, I'm going to 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and if you know anything about that passage, you will remember that Peter talks about this thing of new character in those verses. He says in verse number 3 of chapter 1, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him 
that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. That is, in the definition of becoming, that is receiving new properties or qualities, additional matter, or a new character. It's the life of Jesus being made manifest in me. I was just thinking about this verse. It's just crossing my heart. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's the same idea. Peter and Paul both showing us that there is a way of becoming the man that we're made to be or the woman we're made to be in Christ. Now, do you realize that the word become is used 130 times in the Bible? Now, that might sound like a dull fact to you, but I've never really thought about that in terms of being a Bible word, I suppose. And yet, when you think about it, there's a lot of scriptures that we know that have this word become in them. Take these passages, for example. Psalm 118 and verse 14, The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mark 1, 17, Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, it, it can be an instantaneous thing, like becoming a child of God instantaneously when we believe on Jesus. But, but more often than not, it seems that it is a process thing. It is used in the sense of saying that we are becoming something. We are becoming. And I want to become the man that I am made to be in Christ, that new creature that Paul mentions there, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so immediately as I was praying this the other day, 2 Peter 1 came to mind. And, and this is the key to it, because right here in 2 Peter 1, as in other places, but probably nowhere is it more clear than in this chapter, but the, the process is laid out for us to see. And so let me pick up the reading there again. I read verse 3 and 4. Listen to what he says in verse 5. And beside this, giving all, beside what? Beside the, the taking the great and precious promises to increase in the knowledge and become partakers of the divine nature. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so there's a process clearly laid out right there. Paul, or rather Peter says that we're to give the diligence and add to our faith. And then there are these 
additions that get added, one on top of the other, almost like building, as in becoming, this man that God wants me to become in Christ. Now, what sort of man do I see here in this chapter? I wrote down five things which I think describe the sort of man or the sort of woman that we are to be becoming in Jesus. Now, these are, I hate to say general statements because they're, they're so precious, they're so uh, biblical and spiritual and, and very descriptive of the nature of God. But I mean general in the sense of these will apply in a general way to all of us who are seeking to become what God has called us to be. But it will be manifested. It will be lived out in specific ways, unique to each one of us. But let me give you these five things that I noticed. This is just taken straight out of this chapter. First of all, what sort of man do I see that I must become? I must become a godly man. Verse 3 says, And let me back up and read verse 2 with it. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. A godly man. What is a godly man or a godly woman? It is someone whose life is filled with God. Someone who dwells in God and lives by God. It is someone who for whom God is their life. And and to be godly is to live with God at the forefront of our heart and mind. So I want to be a godly person. I want to live my days with God in my mind and my heart. Then secondly, he we see here a holy man. I want to become a holy man. Verse number four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, what is the divine nature? I could could say that, you know, there are many verses. God is love. But we know that Peter is the one who has told us in 1 Peter that we are to be holy, God says, even as I am holy. That's uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, I believe around verse number 15. Yes, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, all manner of your living. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. God is calling me to become a holy man. Now, what is holy? It is, from the text, sharing in the very nature of God. Holy means to be pure, to be sacred. It means to live my life as though every aspect of it matters. There is no division of my heart and my life and my days. There's no secular sacred. All of life is sacred for the holy person. And God is holy, and he is making me to become a holy man. Now, thirdly, I see this, verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence. And let me add to that, verse 10 says, rather, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. And so I know that I am to become a diligent man. Literally, this word means speed or haste. And it implies that we are giving earnest effort. Earnest effort toward what? Earnest effort toward this becoming. Earnest effort toward godliness and holiness. Something that doesn't just happen. It is God who sanctifies us, but we in our daily life must consecrate ourselves unto God. And it is a, a measure of effort on our part. It, it, is, it is about our effort. And we've said it many times in the last couple of weeks, I think, but 
Grace is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. You can't earn God's righteousness or God's favor or God's salvation, and you can't earn holiness. We'll never be deserving of it. But we put forth effort wherein God's grace meets us in that effort, and we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And so a diligent man or a diligent woman really putting forth earnest effort to grow. Number four, I see that God wants me to become a fruitful man. Verse number eight, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And right there, so we talk about fruit, right? We want to have a fruitful Christian life. And we can go to John 15, and it is the right thing to do. We see what bearing fruit is in John 15. We can go to Galatians chapter 5, and we see what the fruit of the Spirit is, and that is a right thing to do. But if you want to understand it in a nutshell, in a statement, it's right there, that we would not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit that God wants in my life is that I am increasing in the knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus better. Because knowing Jesus better is what leads to the production of all that Jesus fruit, love and joy and peace and obedience and all the things that Paul gives us. And so God wants me to be a fruitful man, uh, neither be barren nor unfruitful. That's literally be lazy and unproductive. That is not what God wants. And when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to our, you know, our walk with God, diligent, right? That's the call. Be diligent. Don't be lazy and unproductive, but be diligent. Number five, number five, I see that God wants me to become a kingdom man. Or for you ladies, a kingdom uh, woman. Now that's in verse number 11. He says, if you're doing these things, you're not going to be barren and unfruitful. You're not going to forget that you've been purged from your sins. You're going to make your calling and election sure, and you're not going to fall. In verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, there is much that could be said about that verse, but for the sake of the context of our message today, God wants us to become kingdom people, more and more kingdom-minded, someone who lives with the mindset that God's will is the most important thing to be done, and I want to be a part of whatever God is doing. I am praying for what Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's what we want. That's the kind of life that we want to be living. And, and so I, I know the time is going to be running out on us today, but what we want to get into tomorrow when we come back together is what this process of becoming looks like. I want to walk through that process there in those middle verses and see what we can glean from that there are three guiding thoughts that I wrote down, which I believe define this process of becoming. This helps me. And if you're able to write this down and you want to, maybe it helps you, but it just kind of helps frame it for me. So three statements. Number one, my renovation or my becoming, my renovation is a journey to godliness in the kingdom. Now that I think explains the goal of it all. We talk about becoming. We talk about being changed, renewal. What is it about? It's about a journey to godliness in the kingdom. That's the goal of my living in my days. The word journey is important because, you know, Peter himself uses that word. I believe, because I'm just thinking about it, 
Uh, it's in First Peter. But re- remember when he speaks to us about being pilgrims and strangers and how, we're to our, how we are to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul? Uh, he's speaking of the fact that we are in a journey. Now, journey goes very well with process, right? A journey is, you know, the old saying, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And every day, um, and really every hour, that's what we're after, is we're, we're taking that next step in this journey to godliness in the kingdom of God. So that's the first statement that I wrote down. The second statement is this. My requirements are the knowledge of God through the precious promises. So my, my renovation is a journey to godliness in the kingdom. That's my goal. My requirements for this are the knowledge of God through the precious promises, and that is my guide. Now, multiple times, multiple places in Peter's letter, he speaks of knowledge. Verse 2, I read earlier, you know, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And again, in verse 3, he says that uh, we have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Later in the study, in verse six, uh, 5 and 6, he says that we're to add to our virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And so here again, I would go all the way to the end of the, the, uh, the letter, and, and there's other places in between, but chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So my re- requirements for this journey, this journey to godliness in the kingdom, is I need the knowledge of God that comes through those precious promises that verse 4 tells me about, that, that are given to me, the exceeding great and precious promises. They are my means of partaking of the divine nature. So statement one, my renovation is a journey to godliness in the kingdom, which is my goal. Statement two, my requirements are the knowledge of God through the precious promises, the word of God, and this is the, this is the guide for my life. Now here's the third statement. My responsibility, and that's important, that's important because this speaks of where we're going to today, that we have effort to put into this. We have a part to play in this. And so my responsibility is to pursue growth diligently by adding to my faith, adding to my faith. Now, we've got the goal. That's the journey to godliness in the kingdom. We've got the guide. That's the knowledge of God through the precious promises But here are my gains that I'm after. That is to pursue growth diligently by adding to my faith. Now, I use that word gains. A lot of people that, you know, if you're, uh, and there's probably other uh, platforms or avenues where this applies, but I think about it in a lot of the sports communities, you know, people that are weight training and and trying to get stronger, uh, they talk about their gains. Am I gaining in strength or am I gaining in muscle mass? Maybe other athletes are trying to gain in terms of speed or the ability to jump, to elevate, whatever it may be. But, but how do we gain? How do we achieve those gains? We do it by pursuing growth diligently. And Peter specifically is calling us to do that by adding to our faith. Now we're going there, but let me just introduce the opening of Peter's letter and bring us into that process of becoming. Verse number one, Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith. There's the faith we're adding to right there. And we've obtained that like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So 
To those, Peter says, I'm writing to those who share the same faith that I have. Now, how is it that we have this faith? It is received through the righteousness of God, through Jesus our Savior. That's what Peter tells us. That's a wonderful truth. It's received, not earned. Now, I've already mentioned the word earned. There's some effort, or I've mentioned the word effort. There is effort we put forth, but we don't earn salvation. We don't earn holiness, but we do put forth effort to work with the grace of God in growing in what God has already given to us. I hope that makes sense. So it's received by the righteousness of God through Jesus our Savior. It's received. Peter puts it this way. He says, um, he, he says obtained. That's a, that's a powerful word. Our salvation is obtained. It means that it's been appointed to us. But again, how? How is it appointed to me? I don't deserve to be saved, right? We, we know we don't earn it. We know we can't be good enough to be saved. It comes to us by the character and quality of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says, we've obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Boy, that tells me one thing for sure. My salvation and my hope is based in something that is absolutely certain, and that is the righteousness of God. Can you trust God? You sure can. Can you trust me? I want you to be able to, but friend, I know from experience, I will fail. I will let you down. But we can trust God, and so our salvation is secure in that. I'm glad for it. Now, he says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You think about that, grace and peace. Sometimes those, sometimes those words get used, and we don't really think or appreciate what they mean. But grace and peace are premium spiritual blessings or uh, spiritual endowments from God on our life. Apart from grace, we are helpless. And apart from peace, we are restless in this world. And these things are multiplied to us, Peter says. They're multiplied in our lives. Grace and peace be increased. Multiplico is the Latin. It comes from the word multus, many, and polico to double. So, I mean, do the math on that. He's going to double up many of these graces and pieces into our life. And, I mean, you just can't number it. That's what Peter is saying. And it comes through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Epignosis. Epignosis. This is a big word. It means recognition. And that's the word Peter uses here when he speaks of the knowledge of God and of Jesus. It's epignosis. It means recognition. It means becoming more and more a person who can discern God in their life and in this world. That's how we want to live. That is how we want to live. And and, and and knowing God and having that knowledge of God, you know, that's really the unifying factor in our lives as Christians. You know, me being able to see God in the world, you seeing God in the world, and then the recognition of Jesus Christ in one another, that is a precious thing. You know, Paul had a concern for his brethren, um, his Jewish brethren. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You see, they were missing this recognition of who God really was. They, they knew there was a God. They believed in God. They were devout in that way, but they really didn't know God. And that's what Paul wanted for them to have, the knowledge of God. You see, the knowledge of God 
is the key to becoming the man that I am made to be in Christ or the man or woman you are made to be in Christ. And this knowledge which transforms us must be on our part something that we acknowledge, right? A-C-A-C, knowledge, acknowledge it. So the knowledge is there, but we learn how to acknowledge the truth. Um, Paul, again, gives us some important truth about this. He writes in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 25, he says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You see, the truth is always there. It's there for you and for me to, to receive and to grow in, but to recognize God, to have that knowledge, we have to acknowledge that truth. And again, Paul says in Titus 1, In verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. So what is that saying? That is saying to you and I that we have this responsibility, this responsibility to pursue growth diligently by adding to our faith. That is what Peter is calling us to, and it is in that way that we will make gains in our godliness and in our coming to know God in a more real way. So a renovation is a process. Now, when you think about renovation, it's both a process of removal and replacement, or as Peter has it, adding to. That's the, that's the phraseology he uses here. So I want to focus on the adding part because that is, again, what Peter is emphasizing. And a lot of times we think about it, and we should. There's a place to talk about the stuff that we need to get out of our life. But I do believe this, and Peter backs it up. If we fail to do the adding, we're going to suffer loss. Verse 9 tells us that. He says, if you lack these things, he is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. And so what that means is we begin to live like somebody who's, who's not been made a godly person. We begin to fall back into some of the ungodly ways. So I think it would be fair to say that If we put some emphasis on what we need to add in our life and we actually add to um, our faith the right things, we're going to have to, by default, squeeze out the wrong things. And so it'll be a very good move for us. Here's an example of what it looks like. So let me say this first. We have to understand this, that life in God is never stagnant. We are either becoming one thing or we are becoming another thing, right? And I think that falls in the lines of we are becoming someone who's living in the Spirit, or someone who's living by the flesh. So Paul says in Galatians 5, back where we've been studying some with the AP, verse 14 through 17, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So, there's a very clear delineation drawn that there is no stagnation in our spiritual life. We are either becoming more like Christ, or we are by default slipping backwards into this, what Peter would say, being barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what helps us with this? That's verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Everything that we need to live a life that is godly, 
and holy. Remember all the things we mentioned before, diligent, fruitful, kingdom-minded. God has provided all of that for us through the knowledge of him, and we access that by going to those great and precious promises, and it is in those promises that we are made partakers, receivers of a godly character or divine nature. And so this, this means a lot of things. This is where the spiritual discipline comes into our life because we have Bibles. You have a Bible. Hey, and by the way, it's a spiritual discipline in your life that you tune in and listen to Bible teaching on a regular basis. That's a good thing. That's an example of a spiritual discipline, and it helps us to grow so long as it's you know good Bible teaching, right? And it's challenging us to grow because that's where the gains come from. Pursue growth diligently by adding to our faith. So we practice spiritual disciplines not as a means or an end in themselves, right? Not as an end in themselves. I don't pray and read my Bible so that I can say I pray and read my Bible. I pray and I read God's Word because the end of it all, my hope, the gain, is that I increase in recognition of God. I increase in the recognition of Jesus in my life. I increase in the recognition of Jesus in the world. I can look around at what's going on and say, boy, I see God's hand in that. And so my heart is stirred. I I increase in my uh, ability to pray for people, to, to think about people in a godly way, to try to relate to people and befriend and and, and practice things like forgiveness and confession and all those things that make the spiritual life rich and meaningful and effectual in this world. This is why we do it. And when we do it, we're escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, man, this is a win-win. There's just no way around it. Now, we're going to get into this next time. Finally going to get to the list. We're going to start with verse 5. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And I want to talk about those things next time because that's what God says we need to be adding into our into our days, into the hours of our days, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Let's talk about faith. Faith is the foundation, okay? Faith, the foundation of faith. What kind of faith is the faith mentioned in verse number one? Those who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And so it's the gift of faith which God gives us, as Ephesians 2.8 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now watch how the gift of faith is again presented as the foundation in this whole equation of becoming, or this process of becoming the person I am to be, when Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Let me read that to you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's that process of becoming. Now listen to the next verse. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so it is wonderful that we have faith and thank God for the gift of faith. But what is faith? You know, we cannot be we cannot become the men and women we are to be in Christ without faith. It is the foundation. So what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11:1 1 says to us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we think of faith, we can think of faith as believing God. Faith is belief. And now belief is action. And so faith is acting as though what we, be- what we say we believe really is true. We can understand this as God's way of defining faith from Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, And behold, they brought to him, to Jesus, a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, Jesus saw their faith, right? Their faith was belief in action. It wasn't just something that they said they believed. Oh, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus. No, their faith, genuine faith, was something that could be seen by how they were conducting themselves, how they were living their life. Now, every believer has a measure of faith, and it is a measure. But to that, Peter says, we are to add. We are to grow in and from. As the Bible says, the just are to live by faith. And so faith is the bottom line, the essential to any life in the Spirit and to walking with Christ. And you will do what you believe to be true, good, and the right thing. But we base that belief on what or on whom? Either on God, ourselves, or what others may say or think of us. So we need to make sure that our faith is solidly in Jesus. Then we will be believing on the right basis and doing for the right reasons to include everything in our life of faith, whether we're talking about you know, going to church, attending church services, praying, the, the, the good Christian work of forgiving, and the discipline of confessing, and everything else that comes in with this life of true faith. Now, Paul, or Peter rather says we're to add to. Another way of thinking of that would be to say we are to supplement this faith. Faith is the foundation. We, we must have faith in Jesus to be saved. But now to that faith, which comes to us on the basis of God's character, his righteousness, as verse 1 told us, to that faith we are to supplement with these other things that Peter's going to list. Now, the phrase add to has the idea of furnishing along with something. So perhaps the illustration which best helps is to think about a house, a house which has already been built, or maybe even better to think about a room, perhaps like, for example, the inner chamber of our heart. That's a room. And to think about that where you have this basic framework of faith in Jesus Christ, right? But to your room, you need some additional things. There are some other things that have to go with that that room to make it fully furnished, as there is additional things to go with our faith to make it full and all that God wants it to be. So what do we go for next? Well, Peter says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue. The word is erite, erite. And it means 
basically manliness or valor. But I think a word that helps us best understand what Peter is driving at here is the word excellence. It is essentially what we know as goodness. It is a quality of faith in action. That's what virtue is. It is is the practical side of holiness or godliness. It is the visible, measurable combination of our skill, wisdom, power, and steadfastness for good, as Dallas Willard defines it. I often think of Jesus in Mark 5 and verse 30, where it says that the woman with the issue of blood touched him, and immediately he knew, quote, that virtue had gone out of him. But now here the word virtue is a different word. It's the word which means power. It is the word dunamis, and uh, it, it has to do with the power of God working in, through, and out of Jesus in healing that woman. Now, they are not the same, these two words, erite and dunamis, but they are not unrelated. And I think what helps with that is to look at the common definition of our word virtue in English. It comes from the Latin word virtus, and it has the radical sense of it is strength, strength from straining, stretching, extending. That's the primary sense of the Latin word, which comes from vir or a man. We, we think of words like virile, you know, and we think of manliness, and that's Latin in its origin. And the idea behind it is strength, strength from pushing oneself, from extending past the limits to grow stronger. So strength, and then also it's understood as bravery or valor, but it has another sense which helps us understand its role in our faith, and that is moral goodness, the practice of moral duties and the abstaining from vice or a conformity of life and conversation to the moral law. That is an old definition, old English definition from Webster on the word virtue. So erite, again, which is the Greek word, is actually only used by Peter three times and used by Paul one other time. So it's not a common word in our New Testament. But Paul uses it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 when he writes, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, erite, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So that verse gives us a great understanding of the meaning of virtue. It is the things which are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. It is, it is just, it is, as is commonly said, moral goodness. But it is excellence. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to how Peter uses it. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that you should show forth the praises is the word erite. The Greeks had a goddess named erite, and they had so many deities, you know. But it helps us gain the sense of the word's meaning when we consider uh, how they viewed that goddess erite, because the goddess erite was really about the celebration of excellence in anything. The most significant qualities of the most manly of men to the Greek world would have been strength, bravery, 
and wit, the ability to think, to have a sharp mind. You know, Socrates equated virtue to knowledge. He wrote, all virtue is knowledge. And I think Peter would like that because of how much the word knowledge is used in this letter, and it's going to come up again in the very next thing we're to add to our faith. But, but thinking of all this, it would seem that Peter's intent is to say, furnish, along with your faith, the quality of excellence so that you have not just baseline faith, not just babe in Christ faith, but have excellent faith. Add to your faith virtue. This is the kind of faith, the kind of faith that is, as Romans 1.8 says, is spoken of throughout the world. See, that's not just baseline faith. Oh, are you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I've believed in Jesus, you know, since I was 10 years old. Okay, well, that's not necessarily excellent faith, is it? If your belief in Jesus hasn't really excelled past that level of belief. But excellent faith is the kind of faith which has strength like Abraham had to believe God for the impossible, Romans 4.20. It's a faith that stands not in the wisdom and ways of men, but in the power of God, 1 Corinthians 2.5. Faith that holds the line and does not retreat in hardship, 1 Corinthians 16.13, where Paul says, Stand fast, quit ye like men, be strong. It's the kind of faith which has been tried and examined in the crucible of doing life in Jesus' name and finding faith to be without fail. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says we're to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's the kind of faith that's been tried and examined in the crucible of doing life in Jesus' name and finding that faith to be without fail, and that's the kind of faith we're called to have. Now, let's end this one by just thinking, where and how do I obtain virtue to add to my faith? Well, number one, remember it takes all diligence to add, okay? So we can't do any good here unless we're willing to really put forth the effort giving all diligence add to your faith. But secondly, remember, it is making faith excellent. So to keep increasing in faith is a part of it. Keep growing in faith. That's how you're making your faith stronger, braver, more knowledgeable. And so faith comes by hearing the word of God and then doing the word of God. Romans 10, 13, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. James 1, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And this is bringing us back to that growing in knowledge. Again, that's the very next thing we're to add to our faith. Thirdly, how do we, how do we make our faith virtuous or excellent? We do it by prayer. By prayer, we obtain the excellence of faith. And that can't just be something that we just nod our head and say, yep, 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 we got to pray about it, always want to pray about it. No, we really, through prayer, ask God to increase our faith and to make our faith, that kind of faith spoken of through the world, strong like Abraham's to believe the impossible, to stand in the power of God, to not retreat in hardship, and to be tried, examined, and found to be without fail. We must pray for that kind of faith. And then fourthly, I would add this. Go out and live your faith, not selectively in the easy places where it's easy to talk about faith, easy to be surrounded by people who share the same kind of 
level of faith, but get yourself in situations that challenge and test your faith. Put yourself in the company of people who have more excellent faith and and grow. Grow and let your faith learn how to excel. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning desire. To be the best you can be. In the heart of a champion